What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. My name is Benjamin Solomon Hilsinger, and this week's guest is Zach Jones. Zach is a drummer, singer, songwriter, and producer from Brooklyn, New York. He's performed and recorded with artists such as Sting, Ingrid Michaelson, A Great Big World, L. King, and many more. He also writes and records music with his own group, Zach Jones and the Tricky Bits. He's the kindest dude I've ever talked to. I was smiling the whole time, and we could all benefit from being a little more like Zach on and off the kit. I know you're going to enjoy my chat with him and his five records that helped shape him into the player he is today. All right. Cheers. So for this list, what was the criteria for an album to be in the running and then ultimately make your top five? Well, this was obviously excruciating <laughs> Yeah, to, sorry. To, pick, to pick five. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. But what I ended up deciding to do was just sort of give myself the guardrails of like, they were five things that came to mind immediately. So I didn't overthink these. And they're all... When you use the word formative, these are like really early days of my playing drums, probably the first five, six years that I played the drum set, really deep in my bones, the records and the songs and the playing, and they're all records that I played along to in my bedroom or my parents' basement, you know, that they're a really big deal for me on like a elemental sort of level. So they those all felt like a good a good choice. And also they're all records that my dad either gave me or recommended to me. He's a musician himself. He was the guy who taught me my first couple beats on the drum set. And so it's a lot of stuff that he went, hey, you should check this out, you know? That's a good dad. Yeah, along my my journey of, now I can probably play a little more, so check this out and, sh- you know. Yeah, that's that. that was the criteria. What was your dad's... Or is your dad's main instrument, if he has one? He plays. He's mostly a guitar player and a singer, mm-hmm. um, but he he he's a good bass player and a, and a really solid drummer too. I think when he was growing up in bands, you know, he started playing bass because nobody else wanted to play bass. I feel like that's <laughs> common. a common story. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I grew up playing with him in church. He was the music leader at our church, and so that was like the first band I was in was him and and guys his age playing and women his age playing church music and then but it, it's very like rootsy americana kind of church it's like if dawes was a church band <laughs> kind of is the Weirdly vibe enough griffin was actually the guest on the pre the last week's guest if people are listening right no now way. so yeah, oh, yeah great great i He's love amazing playing. yeah geez uh i love that band but yeah so that it was like that band and then and then i started a band with my peers after i had been playing for a couple years but 
Yeah, so my dad still is a guitar player, singer, and now he's got a couple young players who he's kind of mentoring in in the church music thing. And so he's he's a wonderful like teacher, mentor to all my bandmates growing up, and he's just kind of a musical father figure to a lot of people. Have you done one of those pro drum? For some reason, maybe it's the Mandela effect. I remember seeing you do it, but have you done any of those pro drum Nelson drum shop like grooves of the day thing where they just have you play? I did one at, at pro drum. Yeah, I haven't been to Nelson. I see you're wearing a Nelson hat, but I haven't been there. Yeah, I did go to pro drum though when we were in LA because the guy who texts for me on this tour, his name's Gary Grimm, and he he's the best dude. You know Gary? Yeah, yeah, he uh, was. No he, way. I think he was. Was he Pink's? Uh, yes. What's his name? Mark's drum tech for a while. So yeah, yes. yeah. No, we sent him some stuff. Gary's awesome. Oh, I love that. Anytime I name a drummer, I like. He has worked with them at some point. You know, he's been on so many great gigs. His first big tour was teching for Jeff Percaro on Toto. Like, the dude is deep. So he knew the guys at at Pro Drum. So when we were in LA, I said, I really want to go. To pro drum do you want to come with me and and we'll hang and that was really fun he, he got to catch up with jerry and it's such a special place yeah and you know i i live in new york so we have a great a great drum shop <laughs> called good hands which used to be steve maxwell but man to step into a place like that in la there used to be so many great drum shops in midtown manhattan they're all gone so for me it was a special treat of like oh man this is really the thing, all these guys used to hang out. You just, you see all the photos on the walls of little Jimmy Keltner and like all this stuff that's, it, the history there is mind blowing and, and a real like social sort of congregation point for the drum scene. And, and especially LA with all of its studio history, like how Blaine ordered his concert Tom kit through them. And it's, it's incredible. It's so cool that they're still there and, and killing it, apparently, because I think now the online sales are a big thing, too, and seems like they're doing really well. Yeah, and they've they've been doing that groove of the day thing, which is getting more people to just even know it exists, you know? And so when you walked in there, did you know you were going to do it, or did was it just kind of like, do something, and you're like, okay? I didn't know explicitly, but I had a hunch that maybe we would do one. Yeah. What did you play? Well, I they had this, uh, the kit they had set up was like a 60s Ludwig kit, which I just, I, I've never played one that I don't love. And they had the bass drum kind of wide open, kind of bonhomie. And so when I sat down and just hit the drums, it, it I wanted to play something where the kick drum notes were long. And, you know, the sound of the kit kind of informed what I ended up playing. Mm-hmm. And I just played a little, I don't know, kind of funky offbeat Bonham, Steve Jordan, some kind of something groove, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I didn't have anything particular in mind, but that's what that's what kind of popped out when I sat down. Well, I got to say, speaking of drum sounds, man, I mean, especially and I'm going to be referring to this, this Drumeo video I just saw of you, your touch and your technique, it, it, it brings out such a musical sound in the drums. It was, I was astounded. I mean, I know, I know Drumeo, I'll give them credit too. They record things really well and everything, but your consistency on the snare was just, it was very inspiring, man. You make, you make drums sound good. Thank you. <laughs> That's really nice. Thank you. You know, for me, it's it's about that and it's about making it feel good and making everyone on stage or in the studio have a good time. So and those guys definitely 
they have it so dialed in at Drumeo, it's ridiculous, you know. And we got so much done in a day. Um, it was staggering, actually. But they just they just know how to make it happen and keep the day rolling. And anyway, great sounds and and fun for me because I I'm also I love recording. I love being in the studio. So it was a cool environment for that too because I, I had my in ears in and I had a great, really nice mix coming back at me. So it put me in kind of studio rat mode, which which felt good, especially being on tour as much as I am. It's nice to nice to do that sometimes, you know. Well, speaking of '60s Ludwig's, this is a great segue. Good co-host. Yes. So let's just jump into your first of the Big Fat Five. So the album is with the Beatles. The artist is the Beatles. The release year is 1963. Bunch of key tracks, um, and then we'll we'll choose one of them to listen to. But yeah, the drummer is Ringo Starr. I guess for the sake of the listeners, I will list a few of the ones that you wanted to point out. So sure. it won't be long. All I've got to do, all my loving, I want to be your man classics it's so crazy with the beatles i think of if there was a band that just had only i want to hold your hand like that was their only number one hit they would still be a household name and yeah, they man. had so many anyways take it away well the 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 background is when i i started playing drums when i was nine and probably when i was 10 or 11 my parents got me for my birthday i got a boom box that had a cd tray in it huge and yeah, which I'm I'm of the age that that was a big deal to have a CD player. Absolutely. And uh, and they gave me two CDs when they gave me the boombox, and it was the uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory film soundtrack because I loved that. I still do. And uh, with the Beatles, that was the other one. So I had, you know, I had an awareness of the Beatles mostly through hearing my dad play stuff. He 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 did like a lot of like solo bar gigs doing covers in addition to the church stuff so he would play mostly like 60s 70s pop and rock kind of stuff a lot of monkeys a lot of stones and i knew some of the beatles tunes through that we had like a, a cassette tape that was some kind of beatles collection but i didn't i don't remember what it was and i i've never seen that collection again but uh anyway so with the beatles was my first real album of theirs and it was a big play-along one for me. I, I would just put that record on top to bottom and play along to it in my bedroom. It's still, you know, I, I'm a total Beatles obsessive. Like, I've listened to all the albums a million times. I've, I've listened to all the deep cuts and, all, and also all the alternate studio versions and weird mixes and uh, halves of demos and all, yep. all, all that all stuff. All the BBC live and, sessions. And... Oh, man, that's a whole other thing that particularly for people who don't get Ringo, the BBC stuff is often something I point to as like, he's just burning on that stuff. He sounds mm -hmm. so good. So I love his playing on Abbey Road. I love his playing on Revolver and Rubber Soul and, and the stuff where he got, they got a bit more experimental and he got more into studio stuff. But there's something about, the early stuff, the With the Beatles, this record in particular, just to hear him, it's probably three or four mics on the kit, and they're doing a couple takes of each song. It's all their sort of club date repertoire in addition to some new originals. It just doesn't get better than this for me in terms of it's where I started, and it's still man, that's just it. He always has that little swing to his playing. It's always interesting 
and he gets a great sound, but it's it's so supportive of the songs and it's so melodic and uh, it's everything I want to do when I play the drums. It was a really good place for me to start, particularly because the originals on this record are fantastic, but then there's all these Motown songs and girl group tunes and like the tracks of the day that I knew them through this record first before I went back and dug into Motown and all that kind of stuff. So it was a great rabbit hole for me to go down, chasing down all the tracks on this record, the original versions, and I just love it. Well, do you want to listen to I Want to Be Your Man? Yeah, great. Let's great. listen to about a minute of that, so here we go. Cool. I want to be your lover, baby. I want to be your man. I want to be your lover, baby. I want to be your man. Love you like no other, baby. Like no other can. Love you like no other, baby. Like no other can. I want to be your man. 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 He really exemplifies to, to me like the the core thing of of rock and roll as a genre. Like if you listen to Little Richard or or you know the the records that really Chuck Berry really invented this stuff. It's it's that tension of like it's not quite a straight eighth note and it's not quite swung, or somebody is swinging and somebody's playing straight, and so it's that song is like it's kind of swung. But all of his fills are triplet fills. When he does those little breaks, it's really swung. And then they go back to this kind of half thing. And it, it just feels so great. And they're so good at it. And it's all over, especially that BBC record is such a great example. When they when they do Little Richard tunes, and he's just so steeped in that feel. I love his playing on that. And, and the drum sound is great. Mm-hmm. All right. So number two, a compilation record. This is a, it's called 60 Soul, When a Man Loves a Woman. Various artists, of course. Release years 1997, but of course, 60s and 70s, probably. Um, yep. The key track, Soul Man, Knock on Wood, Chain of Fools. The drummers throughout are Al Jackson Jr., Roger Hawkins, um, greats. But anyways, yeah, so take it away. Yeah, this record, I hadn't thought about this in many, many years, this particular compilation. But when you sent me the prompt... It came to my head right away, like I could picture the the album cover. And it's just some like random, I think we probably got it at Walmart, you know, like it, just some kind of bargain bin compilation. But I feel like, especially in that era, a lot of compilations like that, there would be some re-recordings or there'd be some weird stuff going on. So this is all original recordings. The thing I I realized looking back at this is like, this is a record that sent me down a lot of different rabbit holes. You have a couple Muscle Shoals tracks. You have a couple Stax songs. You have some Chicago Soul. Aretha's on there. Sam and Dave. Like, it's a neat and tidy little package of, like, 
whole universes of American music that you can dig into. And, and I think subsequently Al Jackson in particular, like I'm, I'm totally obsessed with stacks and Al's playing in particular is I, I think about him like every time I play the drums and I even have a little picture of him on my kick drum on really? tour. Yeah. Because I just, he's one of those guys to me that's like when in doubt, if, if, if I'm having a weird night or if I am questioning myself, I I'm just like, just do that. And everything will be cool. Make it feel great. Don't be fancy. You you can just tell that he was a pleasure to play with for everyone in that rhythm section. I mean, Booker T and the MGs are they're all incredible. And Al is such a he drives the music in such a cool way, but he also grounds it. All of his fills are super hooky and melodic and memorable. And he gets a I mean, that snare drum sound is just second to none. I just love his playing. And Roger Hawkins, of course, is like also unbelievable. I, I, you know, I never knew who was on a lot of those tunes, the Muscle Shoals records. And so, again, that was a whole other rabbit hole to go down. And then the Chicago stuff like Curtis Mayfield, all the records that he produced. And there's so much good stuff that this compilation kind of led me to. Yeah, this again, this was a big play along record for me. I would just press play at the top and play until it was over (laughs) and try to get it to feel like these guys. Yeah, I don't think this one's on this record, but Roger uh, Hawkins on Land of a Thousand Dances of Wilson Pickett, that drum part was so fun to play along to as a kid. Yes. I, I really wanted to get Roger on, but unfortunately he passed away last year, but I was that would have been great to hear what was going on in that head. Yes, totally. All of the guys on those records, you know. Hey, y'all, I wanted to, (laughs) I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye 
there's no Wilson Pickett on this record. And I would say the, the other like major branch of this tree that's missing is the Motown catalog. But that around the same time, I had some Motown compilations too and got really into those drummers who I also just love. But I have to say there's something about Al in particular, like I said, that is just like, I'm just blown away by, I think also being a fan of Steve Jordan, because he, he's been a big deal for me too. You can hear the lineage of that. I mean, he and Al have such a similar feel and approach. And Jordan's another guy who just, you know, he's got the big hi-hats, he lays in, and every fill is like considered and musical and tasteful. So I love this little compilation. I, I turned it into a playlist on my Apple Music just to like relive the sure. <laughs> the CD experience. And it, it's fun. It's a great, great collection of songs. Do you want to listen to Soul Man, Knock on Wood, Chain of Fools? What are you what are you thinking? Oof. Let's listen to Knock on Wood. Okay. This is Eddie Floyd, by the way. Just the way this pushes into the verse. I don't wanna lose this Great. So subtle, yeah. And the way that his snare and Steve Cropper's guitar stuff is locked is just... If you listen to the rest of the tune, there's there's nothing much more than that, but it's just like makes you move. It glues the whole rhythm section together and the horns, everything. It's just like it's, I just think it feels amazing. And all of those choices that he makes are just correct. It's hard to imagine an, another approach to that tune. Mm-hmm. And I love he gets such a great sound. All right. Well, this uh my gosh, Carlos Vega. He's a drummer that whenever I have spare time, I try and go down as many rabbit holes. And when I go to record shops, I try and find the ones he's on. That song, is it Five Bricks he's on? Is just His drum parts are so good. Um, anyways, the album's live. Uh, artist is James Taylor. Uh, released here is 1993. Key tracks, Your Smiling Face, Mexico, Country Road. That break is insane. Um, so good. Take it away, yeah. Also, I think... People will know his playing from the Grease film soundtrack. If oh. you've never heard him anywhere else, that's him on that whole record. Had no idea. That's awesome. I yeah, I think maybe he had worked with Olivia Newton John or something, and so that's but but he's the guy on on all that stuff. So you have heard his drumming, whether you realized it or not. He's one of those dudes. Wow, cool. This record I grew up in, in southern New Jersey, but my mom is from southern Vermont originally. And at least once a year, like around Christmas, we would take a family road trip up to Vermont. And it was like a six-hour drive to get to my grandmother's house. And so we listened to a lot of music. And, and when, when I was really young, we would listen to some kids' music and whatever. And, but this record was just always in the rotation, I remember. And everybody likes it. And we had like a, 
single CD version of of this where they it was kind of like half of the double album, mostly hits, I think. This is one of those things that just sort of crept into my DNA without me even realizing it necessarily. I don't remember this being a big play-along record for me, although I did learn his break on Country Road like note for note because I think it's just flawless. One of the reasons I I wanted to include this is because I think he's one of those guys who just doesn't get talked about a lot. And it's understandable because he did, you know, he was gone early and I think he would have played on so many more great records and and so much great stuff. But this record in particular for me, like maybe counterintuitively, but when I got offered the gig touring with Sting, this was one of the first things that I thought about was Carlos's approach to this music because the original James Taylor records, you're talking about Russ Kunkel and Rick Murata and, you know, Gad and some of the great session drummers of that era. And Carlos nods to those guys, but completely does his own thing with it. He plays so tastefully. His sound, his drum sound, his cymbal sound, his touch, his pocket, like it's all just, to me, it's it's just perfect. I think if you want to learn how to play for a singer-songwriter this is a good place to really study his work on this. Yeah, and he brings so much excitement. The fills he chooses and the way that he kind of navigates playing in this band, because the band is all killers, background vocals. I think James Taylor's vocals on this record are incredible. And I think Carlos just, you can hear that he really drives and inspires everybody on the stage. It's like the, the pinnacle to me of how to do a gig like this. Speaking of Steve Jordan, there's a James Taylor live at the Beacon Theater. It's like a, a filmed thing that you can watch. I think it was I think it was not long after Carlos died, and they called Steve Jordan to fill in the the drum chair. So that obviously that must have been incredibly heavy and difficult for everyone, including Steve. And there's a moment early in the the concert they they're doing the song Every Day by Buddy Holly, James's version of that. And Steve counts it off and they lock into the verse groove. And James turns around and gives him this look that is like, it's just this moment to me of like, that's what it's all about. The artist turns around and gives him this look like, dude, this feels amazing. And they they communicate so much with just a quick little sort of glance. And Steve looks so happy that James is feeling that way. And it's just such a, a beautiful moment to me of like, how to do that job so well and what to look for to know that you're succeeding is do you make the artist feel like that do you make the other players on stage feel like that like just a moment of pure joy because the music is coming together so beautifully that, that's a little aside but um no it's beautiful i love that yeah he's always just got such incredible players and obviously now gad plays drums with him and that's a whole other thing <laughs> and he he brings his own feel to it, which I love. But yeah, Carlos on this record, man, it's like just outstanding, I think. Wondering if I should say this, but you brought it back up, so I will say yeah. it. Um, yeah. I saw a video of, it was like a sound check for Country Road with Steve playing. Yes. And they were playing that breakdown. And it was the only time I've ever seen Steve, get, and, and let me be clear, he kills it. He sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because, I'm not sure if it's because I'm so used to this version of Country Road, but it's the only time I've seen Gad play anything. And I was like, 
ah, I kind of wish it was the other guy, yeah. you know? Like, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Carlos is, is just, yeah, iconic. So, um, yeah. do you want to play, since we played Country Road on the podcast before, um, do you want to play Your Smiling Face, Mexico? What's, what's your vibe? Your Smiling Face is great. Okay. Again, again, this is one of those that the original record is so, so special. And so I think it's Russ Kunkel on this, but man, Carlos does his own thing and the band sounds incredible. And James is just like fired up. You can hear it. All right, here we go. Whenever I see your smiling face, I have to smile myself because of love. And when you get me that pretty little pal Turns me inside out There's something about your thing I don't know Is an invisible man like me Can feel this way Oh, tell me how much stronger It can grow stronger every day Oh, I thought I was in love like a couple of times girl next door that was long before I met you now I'm sure that I won't forget you and I thank my lucky stars but you are good you are not just brother the need it set down to break my heart isn't it amazing man like me can feel this way it's literally a perfect performance <laughs> yeah it really is and and uh I, 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 it reminds me, you know, I think it's also a great record for anyone who thinks that James Taylor is just like a sleepy, folky 70s guy. Like, he's burning on this whole record. He sounds so good. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool to hear him open up like that. He's such a great musician. And yeah, one, one of the things I love about Carlos that we'll talk about on a couple records from now, too, is like almost like a big band drummer, like the way that he kicks those little figures with the band the way that he sets up the little unison figures i think he's so tasteful about it and and understated and keeps it as a part of the groove he doesn't make a big production out of like i'm gonna do a big fill before this crash it's it's all really like churning and flowing but he kind of kicks those not horns but you know those kinds of figures in in such a tasteful way which i love so I'm looking at your, your video. People can't see it, but you're wearing a Stax oh, yeah. shirt. Where did, <laughs> yeah. Where'd you get that? That's awesome. I got this online from the Stax website, but I, but I did go there. I, t I actually took, speaking of my dad, I took him to Memphis this year, earlier this year, as like a kind of Christmas gift because he had never been. And obviously music is a big touch point for us. So I took him to Memphis and we went to Sun Records and we went to Graceland and for both of us, the highlight was the Stax Museum. And if you're ever in Memphis, it's it's incredible because it's not just a Stax Museum. It's a museum of American R&B and soul music. It's very comprehensive and really informative. And you can tell that it's been done with a lot of love. Like everybody who works there was so cool to hang with. And it's a really special place. It's, it's worth worth the trip for sure. All right, so 
Number four, the album is Every Breath You Take, the classics, compilation of the, of the police. This compilation came out in 95. Key tracks, Can't Stand Losing You, Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic, every song, basically. It's but, true, um, yeah. Yeah, and then, of course, Mr. Stewie Copeland. So who, if people don't know, you've already referenced it. I mean, you play a lot of this stuff live. So um, with, the, with the dude. So take it away. Well, yeah, I mean, present gig notwithstanding, <laughs> this is truly like, aside from the Beatles, the police are my favorite band. I love every one of the albums. I love the songwriting. I love the production. I love the playing. It's just one of those bands to me that when the three of those guys get together, it's total magic and it's greater than the sum of its parts and so mm -hmm. special to me. And um, obviously I love Sting's solo records and I love getting to play that stuff live. And, but the, honestly, those came a little later for me, like Ten Sumner's Tales and Soul Cages and playing on them. But this for me was, a, you know, early on in my life. And again, this was one of those things where I think we heard Roxanne on the radio once. I was in the car with my dad. It didn't click with me yet. I wasn't ready for it or something. And I think he, he would have given me this, this particular hits collection. I was probably like 13 or 14 when I got this. So... I had been playing drums long enough. You know, I, I had some fundamental things worked out. And then Stuart just like blew the roof off of my brain <laughs> with with his playing on this record. And I think I was ready for it at that time. I have a really vivid memory of sitting in my room and pressing play on this on the jukebox and like staring at the jukebox until the whole record was done. And I was just totally like transfixed by everything about it and trying to sort of decode what was happening was part of the fun obviously if you're a musician but the way that they did so such unorthodox things and made them palatable and pop friendly and i mean that's the genius of of sting's writing and of the band the the music is is really quite strange to be as big as it is you know for it to for it to have been a huge pop success when there's no kick drum on one and things like that, it's it's pretty remarkable. Absolutely. Well, do you want to play Can't Stand Losing You? Yeah, th this was my first favorite police song, so I think that's a good place to start. Perfect. Let me scroll all the way through all the James Taylor stuff. God, that record is so long. I love it. So here, <laughs> here's Can't Stand Losing You. Right, right out of the gate. Iconic. Sting's Sent my letter 
this might be a completely dumb question because I've never actually seen Sting live. But yeah. is he the main bass player when he's playing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. There have been tours where, uh, like Christian McBride toured with him for a while on upright bass, and there have been times where there was another bassist. But yeah, he. So yeah, when, when like now on tour, he he plays bass and sings, and so I get to do stuff like that with him. You know, how does it feel to like be playing a groove, and in your in ears, you're hearing like Sting play with you? That's insane. Well, it, yeah, like I feel really glad that I I got to do a handful of like recording dates and promo stuff with him before I before I was ever like on the tour. I was able to kind of work through the the fanboy stuff <laughs> uh sure. in small doses because yeah, like the first time I played not that song but but like Roxanne or Message in a Bottle or one of those and and you lock into it and it's like particularly the bass when you hear that in your ears and you're and you're locking into that pocket like it's a very familiar pocket for me because i've played along with it so much but to look across the room and it's like oh yeah it's a, it's that's the guy that's the <laughs> dude yeah. it's it's really really special and he has such a unique feel and a unique you know the bass lines he chooses again like that song is such a great example to me of like the songwriting is fantastic the lyrics are like dark but also really funny and so intelligent and it's one of my favorite things about him as a writer and then you know the the baseline is like a is a hook you know that that riff is so catchy right out of the gate stewart's playing kind of it feels great but it but you're also kind of a little disoriented in a great way that verse groove is like the kicks on the end of one and two and then the snare hits on beat four it's like it's such a weird little like it's almost like a ronette's beat meets reggae or something you know mm -hmm. and then and you know andy's stuff in in the bridge that kind of floaty you know chorused out thing it's just it's all there to me on that it's so unique and and so economical there's not a ton of overdubs you can hear it it's it's like you know that's the band in a room with some vocals stacked on top on the chorus and and they the, all the arranging is is built into the way that those guys play and the way that the instruments fit together that's part of the fun too on on this tour is like our rhythm section is just me and sting plays bass and dominic miller plays guitar who's been with him forever and and then uh kevon webster is the keyboard player that's the whole rhythm section it's simple and elemental and we get to really lock in with each other and then we have amazing background singers and a great harmonica player who float over top of all that and i feel like for these days in, in particular when there's so much like production and tracks and stuff live it's it's a fairly stripped down thing it feels great to hear all those little things click together to to make that sound uh in real time <laughs> but obviously the the records for me are are just uh yeah and and every little thing she does is magic you know that that was the other highlight i i mentioned and to me, that's like a perfect recording, song, performance, mix. Like, it's just everything about that is, is just totally singular and a beautiful record. Well, there's no rules. Let's just play it real quick. Yeah, just a little bit.
All right, so number five, the album is The Royal Scam. The artist is Steely Dan, released years 1976. Entire record. It's a shame if people haven't heard this front to back, but um, great drummers all over this. Bernard Purdy, Rick Murata. So take it away. So this record, this is a very special one to me. I'm I'm a huge Steely Dan fan, and I almost picked Asia just because it has the widest uh, number of drummers on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so many drummers who I love, like Keltner and Gad, and Purdy's on there too, Rick Murata. But the truth is that this album just like kills me. And and Bernard's on everything except for one song on this record. It's him and Chuck Rainey's on bass, and the two of them together are just lethal. This album I got because, this is a bit of a story, but my dad and I used to go to this one guitar center in South Jersey when we needed stuff in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And there's a guy who worked there named Roderick Hicks, who is still a buddy and a great drummer and he ran the drum department at the guitar center. And so me and my dad got to be friendly with him. And I was probably like 14. And one, one time we're in and he goes, uh, hey, if you guys are around, we're going to shut down the store. Bernard Purdy's coming in to film like an instructional thing. So you can come check it out if you want. And I was like, who's Bernard Purdy? I didn't know he, who he was at the time. And my, and my dad was like, oh, man, OK, we got to we got to fix this, you know. Unbeknownst to me, I already knew his playing because I loved so many records that he's on. He's another one of those guys who's just ubiquitous. Certainly, I knew him from some Aretha stuff like Rocksteady and things like that. But we got The Royal Scam and we got Asia. So this was also my kind of gateway to Steely Dan. Yeah, so this was my introduction to Purdy's playing. And we did end up going to the the filming of the instructional thing. And it was Bernard with the band. And then after the filming was done i was in the drum room with our friend roderick and i was just playing around on one of the kits and bernard says to my dad like hey he sounds good you know you should you guys should come take a lesson with me and so i got to study with bernard i i took i think three or four lessons with him over the course of like a year when i was 15 or something like that and he was so kind to me and my dad and one of my high school music teachers took me to one of the lessons just so he could sit in and, and check it out. You I'll know? drive. I'll drive. It's fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I definitely learned. I mean, he's a, a good teacher, but the truth is that most of what I learned from him, I learned just by getting to sit in a room at close proximity and watch him play the drums. And to hear him play a groove, like whisper quiet and talk to me over it while he's playing and it's just the the most grooving thing you've ever heard in your life and and he's playing with his fingers you know oh yeah it was it was so so informative and and formative for me and those lessons are just like burned on my brain for that reason i almost always play with the butt end of my left stick because bernard showed me to do that and i you know the little ghost nuts with my fingers when i'm playing cross stick that's a total bernard thing and just so many little things i got from him there's a lot of records that he played on that I could pick, but this one is really special to me, and I think he just sounds incredible on it. I was going to suggest that we listen to like the back half of Kid Charlemagne. Sure. Because this is one of those examples to me of the way that he sets up the full band hits 
and the way that he kind of plays around this outro section of the tune. And, you know, Larry Carlton's solo on this is like the greatest guitar solo ever. And, you know, there's, there's, there's so much to love about this recording. But but when Bernard, like, really gets cooking toward the end of this track, it's just incredible. Good timing. This is the last verse. There you go. <laughs> well done. the crash and then recovered very nicely <laughs> very nicely yeah i thought it would have been intentional but yeah he just do it well that's it. my guess yeah sounds yeah. like he misses and hits a tom and then he's like uh, ah. yeah exactly yeah oh yeah. my god when you did stop going to him was he like and there you go little bird fly away or was it just like ah, now it's we're too busy it's hard or he what you know well it was you know the the lessons with him were very like master class uh, esque. You know, it wasn't like uh, go work on this and I'll see you next week. It would it would just be kind of broader musical ideas. So there just you know there came a point where we did a few lessons and it kind of felt like you know I had absorbed a good amount from him, and uh, we we didn't keep in very good touch. But then. The, the craziest thing was that he moved to my hometown for a time. He lived like where I grew up and my parents would run into him out at, you know, whatever at the grocery store or whatever. And I, th- this was last summer I was in Italy. My girlfriend was, was over to visit me and we were, we were hanging in Florence, which was like so great. We had a day off in Florence to just chill. And it's a fun sentence to eat. say. <laughs> It was awesome, yeah. and it, it it was great to just be tourists and walk around. And we're we're sta- we're standing uh, outside somewhere in Florence, and I get a FaceTime from my mom, and I pick up, and she and Purdy are on FaceTime. Oh, uh, it's like he he goes to the dentist like right next to my mom's office or something like that. And so I got to say hi. I hadn't talked to him in a long time, and. She had told him, you know, that I I was doing well and the gig I was on and, you know, that I had ended up becoming a professional musician. And and so I did I did get to say to him, which which meant a lot to me and hopefully to him. But I got to look him in the face and say, thank you. And, you know, I I think about you every time I play the drums. And, you know, I I, uh, that meant a lot to me to get to to say hi to him and, and say that and. Uh, he was he was very sweet and it was and it was really nice to see him because it had been a long time like I said so um, probably like 20 years since I had really been in touch 
Uh, so that was really cool. A cool, like full circle moment. That makes me so happy. Just thinking of you, you have your lady with you. You have a day off in Florence. You're making money. You're <laughs> killing it. Bernard Purdy calls you and <laughs> you get off the phone. It's like, can you imagine a better like afternoon? That sounds like amazing. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah, and we, we ate some great pizza that day. Yeah. It, life, life is good, man. Life I'm very, is really I'm very good. lucky. I'm very lucky out here. For sure. <laughs> oh man, that makes but me so that, happy. Yeah, it was it was really special because he he meant a lot. To, I mean, he means a lot to me. I I wouldn't be the player I am without those lessons and just without his work, his output as a player it, is like such a part of of who I am and how I think about the drums and 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 he's and he's such a sweet man too. He was always just so good to me as like a young you know young upstart. He was <laughs> he was so so cool and I I really appreciated that. Well, that's your big fat five, and uh, you're literally in in France right now. So um, I don't want to keep you too long because I know the time difference is is different. But for people <laughs> for for people listening, where can they you know check out more of Zach Jones? Where can they maybe you can't even announce yet, but where can people see you? What's what's going on? Then I'll let you go. Well, I I live in New York City, and so when I'm not on tour, I'm a, a drummer and a producer record producer about town <laughs> i love i love to be home and i love to be a part of the new york music community and um i have my own band which is called zach jones and the tricky bits and i've released a bunch of music under that uh umbrella and that's with some of my best friends and um if if you if you like the stuff that i've sort of highlighted today all, all of that is definitely in my writing and production and all that stuff and yeah, you're a great um, singer, man. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, when I'm home, I like to work on on producing records for other artists. I love to do that, and uh, and just play gigs around town. And and yeah, right now I'm I'm we're we're about to wrap up this winter tour with Sting in Europe, and then we've got we've got yeah like a a bunch of kind of one off things next year. We're doing two shows with Billy Joel, which is going to be amazing. I've never seen him before. So this will be a great way to see him for the first time. Yeah. And uh, and then we'll be on the road in the summer uh, over in Europe again. And uh, so, yeah, if you if you, you know, come to a Sting show, I'll be there. And uh, if not, uh, I'm in New York and got the records online and uh, and I'm on Instagram at Zach Jones Music. That's my only sort of social thing. So that's where you can keep up with what I'm up to. Well, Zach, dude, that was that was so fun, man. Honestly, such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, likewise, dude. It was like easy and fun, and thank you, thank you. It was a pleasure. All right, this week's big fat favorite is from Stella Mozgawa. She's played with Warpaint, Courtney Barnett, Kurt Vile, and many more. Her choice is the album Eggy Bamyasi, released years 1972. The artist is Can. The song choice is Spoon. And the drummer is Jackie Libzit. Here's what Stella has to say. Jackie is the drummer I think about the most when coming up with ideas in the studio. He invented an approach rather than a specific beat and always served the song while endlessly elevating what was already there. I love how Can incorporated early drum machines and loops, and Jackie sometimes sounded like a drum machine, both in tone and feel. His groove is incomparable and unique, often imitated, and never replicated. All right, here is Spoon by Can. Can. 
the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.